Every time we come to a new year, we have the opportunity to begin. And really, that's true for every 24-hour cycle of a day, every uh, 60th minute of a day, every 60th second of a day. Uh, we have an opportunity to begin again. We don't need January 1 to remind us of the things that we need to leave behind and the things that we need to take hold of. But it is a good reminder. It is. It's a great opportunity for us to set our gaze upon what God would have us be what God would have us do. There are some uh, quotes that I copied uh, about New Year's or new beginnings. They go from the ridiculous to the delightful. Charlie Brown. <laughs> Quote, you know how I always dread the whole year. Well, this time... I'm only going to dread one day at a time. <laughs> Another author said, an optimist stays up until midnight to see the new year in. A pessimist stays up to make sure the old year leaves. <laughs> I was on a, a series of text messages through the holiday and uh, one of the questions with some staff, and one of the questions was, who's going to be uh, supervising the uh, watch night service? And if you don't know what a watch night service is, a watch night service is where you have worship until the new year. So you begin at 11 and you end at 12.01. So you're ringing in the new year. And so that was the question, who's going to supervise the watch night service? I said, someone young enough to stay up till 12.01. <laughs> I'm at the age where we ring in the new year at 9 p.m. <laughs> anyway. Benjamin Franklin, be at war with your vices, at peace with your neighbors, and let every new year find you to be a better man. Good. That's good. Alfred Lord Tennyson. I don't know if you know who that cat daddy was, but he was pretty, pretty awesome. Alfred Lord Tennyson. Ring out the old. Ring in the new. Ring out the false and ring in the true. Good word. And then C.S. Lewis. I can quote him again next week because this is the last week of this month. So I have a whole new string of C.S. Lewis. And really, it's not C.S. Lewis. It's his character, Gandalf, says, there are far better things ahead than any we leave behind. That's a, that's a beautiful sentiment. Not all of us feel that way. So you have Charlie Brown dreading every new day. And you have C.S. Lewis saying, there's something better ahead, far, far better ahead. Now, where do you fall in between those different 
aspects or views of a day, of the new year, of a new day dawning for us. Today, I want to encourage you with a prayer. When we just wrote, read it a few moments ago, it's a prayer that I've committed to pray for you every day. It's a prayer I committed to pray for my family every day, for my friends, and even for myself. We hear it in these words from John the Apostle to a gentleman who was a church leader around Ephesus. Let's begin in verse 1, and let's just read through verse 4. The elder, that's who's writing, the elder being John the Apostle, the elder, to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things. I pray that you may be in health, even as your soul prospers. For I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. My prayer for you and for us is that we might experience a flourishing life. I pray a flourishing life for you. I pray a flourishing life for you. Now, to get to flourishing, I need to break down the verses a little bit, and uh, you'll be okay with me doing this. By the way, this is the only letter where the recipient was one individual. Just one person. This was to one person. The only letter that John wrote to an individual. Now, Paul, you remember, he wrote to an individual as well. His name was Philemon. Both of these individuals were leaders in the church. And as John wrote uh, to Gaius, he wanted to help Gaius navigate the challenges that he was already facing. He wanted to help Gaius know the next steps to take as he faces opposition and conflict from a guy named Diotrephes. Now, as we look at this passage, we hear John the Apostle writing to his friend, one whom he loves in truth, one whom he calls his beloved. It's uh, terms of endearment, my best friend, my BFF for life. Someone who is connected to John through a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. A brother in the family of faith. And John had deep affection for him. In the same way that you have deep affection for one another as followers of Jesus. In the same way that I have affection for you and you for me. And John wrote 
And he began this great letter with a prayer. I pray. Uh, some have said, and maybe your translation remarks, I wish. But the term there for wish or pray is the term we find in New Testament for praying to God. It wasn't just a well wish that John was giving. It was a petition before the throne of God for God to work in Gaius's life so that he might flourish. The content of the prayer was, first, that you might have well-being. Literally, that you might have a good road to walk. The term prosper in the New King James Version literally means a good road to walk. Many of you know what it's like to drive down a bad road. My sons-in-law and I were trying to find a place to go fishing uh, on Wednesday to go trout fishing. Now, trout fishing in December is a bad idea. <laughs> Just saying. It was cold. It was rainy. And so we searched the different places. Now, there are a couple of different places that I enjoy going in Virginia. And one of those places is uh, called the Devil's Ditch. We decided not to go there. One of the reasons it's called the Devil's Ditch is because getting to the stream, you have to go through a really, really, really bad road. And if you don't have the equipment in, in, uh, uh, in vehicular uh, terms, then you weren't going to get to your destination. You might get there, but you probably won't get out. When John writes to Gaius and he says, I pray that you may prosper. I pray in all things you may prosper. He's saying, I pray that every time you wake up in the morning, as you set your feet upon the ground, that God would favor you with a good road. It's not unlike what we hear in Proverbs chapter 3, where the sage writes, uh, uh, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will literally make straight your path. He'll give you a good road. So as John begins this letter, he says, my prayer for you is that you might have a good road, that your walk might be marked by well-being. And this well-being is all-encompassing. As we see in the very next infinitive that he uses, not only that you might walk a good road, but that you might be in health. That's one word in the Greek language, and literally it means that you might be physically prosperous. Not a bad idea to pray that for family and friends and for church family as well. I pray for God to favor you in such a way that you may have a good road and that you might be physically healthy. And then he adds this last phrase in verse 2, just as your soul prospers. 
So you combine verse 2 all together, and it says, my prayer for you is that you might flourish emotionally, physically, and spiritually. My prayer for you is that you might have a flourishing life wrapped in the favor of God. Please understand that this prayer for flourishing cannot happen unless the one to whom we are praying is the God Almighty. The author of a flourishing life is not you, nor is it me, but it's God Almighty. So it declares a deep dependence upon God to act and intervene in our lives every single day. God, we pray for a flourishing life. We pray that you would intervene today. Oh, God, intervene today that I might have a good road, that I might walk the road of well-being, that I might find a good road emotionally and physically, but most importantly, spiritually. It is the spiritual dimension that becomes ever more important because in verse 3 and 4, John writes, I see that you're walking in the truth. Not just in truth, not just faithfully or truly, you are walking in the truth. You know what that means? He's talking about something specific. You go to 1 John chapter 1, verse 6, you see that there is a comparison between someone who walks in darkness and someone who walks in light. And he says, John writes, that if you're walking in light, then you're walking in truth. And if you walk in darkness, then you're not walking in truth. So what is this truth that John is referring to? He's referring to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's referring to what we would call Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. Gaius was living his life spiritually healthy because he was living his life bound up in the truth of God. So today, my prayer for you is that you might walk a flourishing road every single day. But that means that I'm praying specifically. Not just that you might flourish. Not just that you would have a flourishing life. My prayer is first that you and I, that we would walk in truth. That we would be like Gaius, who committed himself to the will of God, revealed in the word of God, empowered by the spirit of God every single day. My prayer for you, for me, and I beg you, please pray this for me. Oh, God, help Eric walk in the truth today. To walk in the truth is the exact opposite of walking in the darkness. To walk in the truth is the exact opposite of walking in the falseness that this world and this culture can so often um, uh, put on surround sound to our soul. When we spend all our time on tickety-tockety-tickety-tock, we listen to the counsel of the tickety-tockers, but the problem is the counsel of the tickety-tockers doesn't have to conform to the will of God because it doesn't have to conform to the word of God. And yet, 
So many of my generation and younger spend an inordinate amount of time scrolling through reels of TikTok. If you don't know what TikTok is, don't look it up and don't go there. <laughs> look, we can, uh, and for those who are not tickety talkers, come on now, let's talk. You turn on your television, you turn on your radio, and what are you listening to? What are you watching? Whatever the news station is, or whatever the podcast is, or whatever the, uh, the, the reporters say, you're spending your time doom scrolling through what they have to say. And the problem with what they have to say is, even though they might be Republican, it doesn't make them godly. And just because they're Democrat doesn't make them righteous. And yet we store our well-being on what they have to say? Come on! The impotence of our daily walk is so tied to what we consume. And so John said to Gaius, I thank God that you are walking in the truth. You're walking in the word of God. What sets the stage for a flourishing life, the foundation for a flourishing life is literally God's word spoken to us and us submitting ourselves to his word. Putting his word as the preeminent source of reliable truth. It is his word that becomes absolute truth for us. We begin to view ourselves not through the lens of what TikTok says or Instagram reels or Fox News or CNN or MSNBC. All right, let's be honest. How many of y'all really watch MSNBC? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We evaluate the truth of the world or the truth of our lives based upon these outside sources speaking into our world, and yet the Spirit of God wants to take the Word of God and make it spring up in us. So it's not from the outside in, but it's from the inside out. Today, friends, I want to challenge you. My prayer for you is that you'd walk in truth, but you got to do the, you got to do the part. you got to spend more time in God's Word than you do scrolling. you got to spend more time... Immersing yourself in God's Word and allowing God's Word to uproot your life, to plant seeds in your life, to remove boulders in your life, to produce fruit in your life, to water your soul. It is God's Word that becomes life-giving to us. The Spirit of God applies the Word of God so that we walk in the will of God and the ways of God. My prayer is that you would walk in the truth, that you and I would give ourselves wholeheartedly to the will of God, revealed in the Word of God, applied by the Spirit of God so that we walk the ways of God. We see ourselves through the lens of the gospel that I'm unworthy of God's love, but he loves me still. And that I'm a sinner deserving judgment, death and hell. But God in his love sent Jesus to rescue me. Today, I, 
I, I see myself through the lens not of the failures that I have done, but rather in the forgiveness that the Son has given to me. Amen. And my prayer for you is that you'd walk in that truth, that you would live each day seeing yourself as sons and daughters of the living God through faith in Jesus Christ, that you would see yourselves no longer walking a crooked path that leads to disaster, but that you see yourself walking an empowered life by the power of God, the Holy Spirit of God, come alive in you through the Word of God. My prayer for you is that you would have a flourishing life, and that flourishing life means that I'm praying that you walk in the truth. But John goes on. Not only does he commend Gaius for walking in truth, but then he also commends Gaius for demonstrating his truth by his love. Today, I pray not only that we walk in truth, but I also pray that we walk in love. Look, begin verse 5. John writes, beloved. Now, again, beloved there is not plural, it's singular. He's still talking to Gaius. He says, beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well because they went forth for his name's sake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive, welcome, embrace these missionaries, these emissaries, in this way, that we become fellow workers for the truth. Now, kind of give you a backdrop. What was happening is John had sent missionaries, and these missionaries had gone forth through Asia Minor, and they proclaimed the gospel, and they had planted churches and begun churches. And they had come around to where Gaius was, and they called up Gaius, or they texted him, or they emailed him. They sent word to Gaius that they were coming through town, and Gaius said, great, I've got a place just for you. Now, Gaius didn't know these people. They were strangers to him, but they were still part of the family of faith. And so Gaius opened his arms, opened his home, opened his resources to take care of these strangers who were brothers and sisters. As we look at this, and what we'll see most Uh, poignantly in verses 9 through 11 is that Gaius was an example of love. He was given testimony of his love in front of the church. And that love was because, verse 9, verse 8, because of his walking in truth and sharing in the advance of the gospel. I, I think... John was really highlighting this, and we'll see why in a second, but John was really highlighting this because not only should we walk in truth, but we must also walk in love. The the love of God poured out to sinners like you and me shapes our life. The love of God given to sinners like you and me directs our affections. The love of God shapes how we treat others. Please understand that you may walk in truth, 
But if you're not walking in love, your truth is limping along. So many of us spend all our time making sure that we are right. But friends, you can't be right if you refuse to love. Today, God is calling us to love one another, even as God has loved you. To love one another, just as God loved you and gave his life for you, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice. To love one another, opening your arms of hospitality and friendship and camaraderie and community, welcoming those around us with open arms. I want you to hear this. The test of walking in truth is walking in love. The test of walking in truth is walking in love. So my prayer for you is not merely that you walk in truth, but that you demonstrate that you're walking in truth by your love for others, for one another's. To love another is pointed out in this passage by using a bad example. Y'all know how this goes. You sometimes use a bad example to highlight the good. Well, John gets to really the heart of his letter. You see, the heart of his letter in, in, in involved a guy named Diotrephes. Now, look at verses 9. We'll just stop at verse 11. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who... And just, uh, just listen to his language. This is John Wright. Good. But Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not welcome us. Therefore, if I come, I'll call to mind his deeds, which he does, prating. Prating. It means using senseless words without foundation. Prating against us with malicious words. And not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but imitate what is good. He who does good is from God. He who does evil has not seen God. Again, highlighting the fact that our love for one another demonstrates our knowing God. Diotrephes, it's another part of this prayer that I'm praying for you. I'm praying that you don't become like Diotrephes in 2024. I'm praying that I don't become like Diotrephes in 2024. Let's just take a snapshot of Diotrephes. Diotrephes was apparently a leader in the church, and he had some juice in the church, some power, some influence. So Diotrephes didn't like John telling him what to do because Diotrephes wanted to have first seat all the time. Diotrephes was so ambitious, he thought he was the most important person in the room. He thought that he was more important than those lowly other people. 
He thought that his way had to be the way because he said it. You see, you see this, you hear this all the time, people who think that they, their opinion is the only opinion that matters because they see themselves as the most important person in the room. They want to have preeminence. And their desire to have preeminence, not only do they want to have first chair, by the way, it's a narcissist, just another narcissist, egoist. When you're an egoist, when you're self-centered, when you're self-consumed, when you're like Diotrephes, not only do you want to have preeminence, but then you go further and you start demeaning and diminishing others in order to elevate yourself. John the Apostle. John the elder, John, the beloved disciple of Jesus, John, who followed Jesus all the way to Caiaphas's court, John, who stood at the foot of the cross of Jesus, John, who was given care over Mary, Jesus' mother, John, this same John, Diotrephes said, you're not that big a deal. You can't tell me what to do. I don't care what you say. Not only did he demean John the elder, he began to say prating words, malicious words, words that had no substance, words simply to injure John's reputation among the people in Diotrephes' church. Now, think about this. I just want you to think about this. Not only did Diotrephes want to have center stage, he saw John as a threat to that center stage, and so he began to say ugly things about John. My prayer is that you don't be Diotrephes in 2024. You don't use your words to demean others in order to make yourself look bigger. It's the opposite of love. And so Diotrephes, seeking preeminence, uh, trash-talking John the Apostle, then went even further. He began to bully people in his church that didn't agree with him. He said, if you don't like what I have to say, I'm going to kick you out of the church. I'm going to kick you out of the fellowship. You can't be part of us anymore. If you don't go the way I say then I'm going to kick you out. Well, we've known some bullies in our life, haven't we? One of the things I've learned about bullies, especially in the church, is they're big talkers, but when you see them face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball, boy, they back down quick. That's why John the Apostle said, I can't wait to see him in in person. I want to see him face-to-face. I'll confront him with the truth. Today, friends, we need to be more like Demetrius, who was walking in love. That's verses 12 and 13. Demetrius was a model of walking in love because he walked in truth. Gaius was a model for walking in love because he walked in the truth. Diotrephes was a model of how not to do it. He was walking in darkness because he rejected the truth. 
the surest way to have a withering life in 2024 is to ignore what God says in his word and refuse to love people even when it's hard, especially when it's hard. The surest way to have a flourishing life in 2024 is to submit all that you are every single day to the truth of God revealed in the Word of God applied to the heart of His people by the Spirit of God so that we walk in the ways of God. And the fruit of that truth will always be love for the other. So my prayer for you and for me is a flourishing life marked by following the road of truth and walking the road of love. So what steps do I need to take? Well, first, and I challenge you to do this, I I challenge you, don't let a day pass that you don't open God's Word and let the Spirit of God speak to you through His Word. There are a multitude of Bible reading plans. For the last three years, I've read through the Bible every year, although that's not my favored way of doing things. Maybe it works for you. If it does, get a Bible reading plan and go through it. This year, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take one proverb every day and one psalm every day. And I'm going to let the Spirit of God speak to my heart. And every day I read a proverb, every day I read a psalm so that I can walk in the truth. However you do it, just make a commitment to do it. You want a New Year's resolution that will lead to a flourishing life? Walk in the truth. You can't walk in the truth if you're not reading the truth. Spend time in God's Word. What else can we do? We can, because we're walking in the truth, open our eyes, our hands, and our heart to love others the way Jesus has loved us. Every day, oh God, give me an opportunity to show your love to someone. Just give me a chance. Whether it be a good morning or whether it be a gospel conversation, just give me a chance to show your love to someone today. And when we commit ourselves to that kind of life, asking for God's favor, we will flourish in 2024. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, I thank you for your word as it directs our steps, your word as it is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. I thank you, God, for your word that literally is life-giving. Your word which 
encourages obedience, submission to your will, and excites and encourages demonstration of your truth by loving others. I pray, oh God, for all who've gathered here that we might taste a flourishing life. But that has to begin in a relationship with you. So, Father, for any who are here this morning, in person, even online, who are not yet certain that they have a relationship with you through faith in Jesus Christ, I pray, O oh God, that by your Holy Spirit you would draw them to yourself even now. That you would give them the courage and the faith that they need to repent their sin and place their trust, their only hope, in Jesus who died for their sin upon a cross and was raised from the dead. I pray, God, that you would do that mighty work of grace in that hearer's heart even now. That you would save them from the penalty and the consequence of their sin. And by your spirit, draw them into your family as sons and daughters. Now, as we worship you, be glorified among your people. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.